It's goosebump time in Oxford, Mississippi. Again, here in the second line studio, I'm your host Zach Barry. It is game week. It's finally here. Game week 2020 Ole Miss football, the inaugural season of the Kiffin era. Joining me, Nicholas Carr, and uh, at, when we when we have to talk Florida Gators, we have to bring in the expert, and uh, that is one Ryan Nanny. Gentlemen, welcome in, and uh, I hope that you're as excited as I am to preview this 11 a.m. kick. Namaste. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel I feel totally zen about it. Yeah. <laughs> just good just just good vibes. That's all I've got at this point. Well, the opposite of namaste, the opposite of good vibes and being very very calm. Uh did you ever figure out what started the fire at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium? I don't I don't <laughs> think there was ever a official determination there because I remember the I saw three different answers dumpster fire mm. golf cart fire and tractor fire which I assume they mean like one of those like um like little John Deere with like the big bed the bed in the back type things. Um and I don't know if anybody ever said definitively it is this one. And Strangely, I was comforted by that because the most Florida thing to do is to have a fire and refuse to offer a consistent explanation for how it started. Uh, I mean, a, a dumpster fire, a golf cart fire, a tractor fire, that could have been the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. You could you could have tractor carrying dumpster gets broadsided by golf cart. All three catch on fire. Yeah. I mean, it's Florida, so a golf cart essentially has to be involved. Correct. By rule. Um, I told you, Ryan, that I thought that it was started by Steve Spurrier, who is hanging tobacco leaves in the stadium, and he was smoking <laughs> them out. Um, so I guess it's in season. He might be curing, like, pepperoni and ham and all kinds of stuff. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, going to start a daily. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, it, weird, uh, weird playing an 11 a.m. game um, with a nationally ranked uh, team like Florida, who, uh, as we discussed last week on our, our preview, um, or I guess it was two weeks ago, I, I think Florida has a real shot to go 10-0 this season. I like, their, uh, I like what they have. I think Dan Mullen is poised to have a big year, even though it's an abbreviated 10-game season. I was a little bit shocked that it was an 11 a.m. kick. I thought it would at least be afternoon, possibly night. And uh, call me crazy, I thought game day might think about um, going to Oxford with all the hype around Lane Kiffin. But and as far as this game, how are Florida fans feeling opening up on the road against Lane Kiffin? Huh. Um I don't, I honestly don't know like how Florida fans are feeling as a whole. I think everybody I assume everybody at least is kind of like feeling a little bit apprehensive about what things are going to look like broadly speaking just because like the pattern the rhythm and the pattern isn't there and so 
you can do the prep work and you can sort of say like, okay, here's who's coming back. Here's who transferred in, blah, blah, blah. Here are the interesting recruits who might get more playing time this year. But like, I think if, I think if we've learned anything from the ACC and the big 12 experience so far, it's like, mm, prepare to see like a little more roughness and a little more working things out than you might uh, usually expect. And normally for a team like Florida, week one is usually, you know, here's the max school. We paid 800 grand to come in and beat by 50. So everybody can beat their chest and be like, Oh, Gators are back. Look out. But this is not that. And so like the rough edges will probably only look rougher. That said, like, I think most Florida fans look at last season and say, well, Kyle Trask obviously got thrown into the quarterback position and in an unexpected time and circumstance, thrived in it quite well. And even though um, there's a little bit of turnover on that side for Florida, it's still it, there's still at least the confidence of saying, okay, we have we feel good about having a quarterback there who can a benefit from his the experience he built last season and b like has shown he can thrive under weirdness and pressure and this is probably going to be a lot of weirdness and pressure so like that's kind of i i opened this with the namaste thing because not necessarily like i feel confident but like the pressure is lower only because everything seems acceptable at this point. If Florida loses this game, it will be number five. Florida loses to unranked Ole Miss, bad news, et cetera, et cetera. But from a like more detached perspective, it's not, it's not exactly the same as if that happens in 2019 or 2021. There's more around it that can sort of shape your understanding and perspective of it. That said, I will still be very angry. You mean more around it like because of like you know, waves, hands, this, like everything? Yes. Yeah. I think like like you you watch you know, Oklahoma State played Tulsa to open the season last weekend and barely won that game. Looked pretty sloppy in most phases of it and kind of needed Tulsa to shoot itself in the foot repeatedly. They had like 120 penalty yards. They missed a short field. They did a lot of dumb shit and they still almost won that game in Stillwater. But like they couldn't get their running game going. And like that's that's a crazy thing to say. And I think it really is just, you know, these teams have not had the normal preparation schedule the normal sort of like ramp up to hit the ground running in the same way so like it's just gonna be kind of weirder and rawer for at least the first couple of weeks because they're figuring it out in real so time if, if florida beats uh Ole miss obviously and then they go on and beat texas a&m and lsu that georgia game you're everything you're saying right now is null and void right correct <laughs> at that point yeah like you can sort of you can sort of play this game for a little bit for the first part of the season, but yeah, once you start talking about mid late October, then it's just the year, and it's just sort of like, are you do you have it or do you not? 
So you, you talked about Kyle Trask being thrust into it last season, and I thought that uh, even though he was thrust into being the starter, uh, taking Felipe Franks' place, I, I thought he played extremely well a season ago. I, I kind of like the way that they're mixing things in with, with him and and uh, Emory Jones. And the offense is, is exactly what Dan Mullen wants. It, it's uh, – you know, very similar to what he did with Dan Mullen and um, – or not Dan Mullen, with Dak Prescott and with, uh, you know, Tim Tebow and Chris mm-hmm. Luke back in the day. Do you see this as a year that kind of catapults Kyle Trask into being considered one of the top quarterbacks in the country, or do you think it's just going to be kind of a business-as-usual Dan Mullen just kind of, you know, that, that Dan Mullen offensive train just kind of chugging along at a leisurely pace? That's that's a good question. And I think like there I, I feel better about it than I would have probably even like at the end of last season about Kyle Trask like making that leap. I don't know that I'm ready to be say like he's gonna be a contender for the Heisman or whatever, but at the very least, I think like he will draw attention and accolades in ways that a Florida quarterback has not done in quite a while. I don't really want to do the counting there because it makes me sad. Um, that said, like Florida's offensive line was okay last year. They weren't great. Um, I know they've uh, they've got a transfer coming in um, from Mississippi State, Stuart Reese, who started like 33, 34 games at guard for them. So it, it does feel like it will – some pieces will have to fall into place. Like some of the younger skill position players are going to have to take a little bit of a step up. Kyle Pitts, their, their tight end is going to have to stay healthy. The offensive line is going to have to like gel and do its thing and do it like a little quicker and a little more efficiently than they did. They're also not going to have that. Like the interesting thing is that with as good as Kyle Trask was last year, Florida still leaned very heavily on their defense. The Auburn game is the one that sticks out in particular, but even the LSU game at points, even though they lost that game, they still hung in there. And the Georgia game, like to the extent they weren't at all, it was frequently because of the defense and they've got a lot more turnover there. There's still talent. There's still, you know, Guys they've recruited, guys that have transferred in, interesting players who like, you know, freshmen who had like four sacks. And you're like, all right, well, that's something to pay attention to. But that's not the same thing as like we know who's doing what and we know that everybody knows their assignment. So I think if he if he is better, if Kyle Trask and the offense do sort of carry the team, that will both be out of necessity and out of growth if that makes sense. And if they don't, you're going to see kind of a weird compounding thing where the off the defense is not there in the same way or at the same level to account for offensive stumbles, offensive sputtering, whatever. The Florida defense is still, like you say, there's been some more turnover, but it's still, it's still going to be full of like Florida and Georgia athletes who are supremely talented, four and five stars. I mean, it kind of sounds to me like it's just, you're just like, it could be a really, really good Florida team this year, like better than, especially if Trask is this good. I mean, Florida hasn't had this good of a quarterback since uh, Tebow. I mean, I, I guess, you know, the, the, 
who was it that that whipped? Yeah, on- it sends it sends Tebow. Like Dris- Driscoll was probably that talented, but wasn't in the right position. Like didn't have a good system. Had too many offensive coordinators. Who was the quarterback yeah, that Tebow. just just pistol whipped Ole Miss in in fifteen, and then Ole Miss, and then he got suspended for steroids. Oh, um, um, Will I Greer. should know this. He's Will he trans- Greer. Yeah, Will Greer transferred to transferred to WV. On the Panthers roster now, what a, I believe. What a, what a route or he was in the National Football League. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so the, uh, Florida's yeah. offense could be really good. I mean, Special it, it seems like Florida could be like the team that I think that Florida fans thought that Dan Mullen could bring down there. I I think that's yeah. I think I think it's possible. Like. The thing – everything you're saying is right. At the same time, they're going to go up against Georgia teams that have recruited better than they have and – or at least will have – you know, the, the, the talent separation is not going to be there in the same way that it might have been in sort of the the Tebow years or some of the Spurrier years. Um, and – that's I think going to be the tricky part of this is that you, you, you know, even Tennessee has recruited better recently, and between you know the two games they added, Arkansas doesn't worry me. We can skip that one. They do have to, uh, I believe, go to A and M, and I don't even think they've played the Aggies since I want to say Johnny Man- like Johnny Manziel's first game or something like that. So. I, I think there's a chance this could be a very good, talented team, but they have some question marks just in terms of how it's all going to gel, how it's all going to sort of work in practice. And they have a schedule that I'm not going to say they have the toughest schedule in the SEC because they simply don't, but they also have enough sort of hurdles ahead of them that. Could I see a good Florida team going eight and two? Yeah. And I, I don't think I would necessarily be mad at that. I don't think I would look at that as necessarily a failure or 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 anything like that. But it could, that seems on the table, 100%. Well, talking about balance and how everything has uh, – just kind of what we expect from the offense this season, I guess he two years ago – the offense averaged 213 and a half passing yards a game and then just under 213 and a half rushing yards a game. This past season, 300 passing yards a game, 130 rushing yards a game. I think uh, that it's probably going to even out a little bit more to 50-50 just because of with well, Michael P. Ryan is gone, but I do think you're going to get a lot out of Damian Pierce, and then the transfer from Miami, Lorenzo Lingard, is supposed to be mm-hmm. exceptional. Uh, former five star, I think he's going to probably work his way into being the starter, if not the guy in Oxford day one. Um, but the offense, I think, is is going to be special. I think Trask takes a huge step forward or two, uh, just kind of another year in the system, and then uh, I I just think that. The the receiving core is, is what is going to set this team apart, and, and I don't think Dan Mullen 
since the last time he was in Gainesville had this kind of receiving core. Uh, Trevon Grimes, Kadarius Tony, and then um, Pitts, the tight end, I think is about as formidable as a three game or, or three guy rotation gets. Uh, I think you can attack from all angles there, and I think that that's the key to this Florida team getting over the hump, beating Georgia, and getting back to Atlanta. And um, I seriously think they have a real shot at fifteen and zero. Um, I know, or not fifteen and zero, ten and zero. I'm sure you hate hearing that, Ryan, but. Is that something that is what people are expecting on offense this season? Um, That's probably about right. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's a secret that Florida, Florida fans expect offense. Florida fans do not want to go nine and one and 10 and zero and win a bunch of games, you know, 17, 13. They live that experience and they did not like it. And, we for whatever I mean it's because we love fireworks let's be honest legal and illegal um, we would rather be in be able to you know contend in a shootout or just steamroll somebody offensively so I think that's probably about right in terms of where the expectations are which is like kind of why I'm interested to see what the patience will be like if it doesn't happen day one, if it doesn't happen week one, week two. And that doesn't mean that like it won't happen eventually. It doesn't mean that Florida can't, you know, still get out of the gate well and win some games to start the season. But like, I mean, I mean other than the sort of known quantities at this point, which I would say are Clemson and Oklahoma. The only teams that feel like they have started the season, that have already started the season and have looked like pretty, pretty much like they're clicking to go in, in the limited time span we're talking about are like Notre Dame and Miami. I don't think, I'm not sure if there's anybody else. There are other teams that have had good starts there are other teams that have had like good spurts, but there are a lot of teams. You know, NC State looked pretty good, but still needed to like play a close game against Wake. And yeah, I I, I think there's just so much real time growth and adjustment. And I don't know what I don't know what the appetite is going to be for that. If it's not sort of what you're saying, Zach, where it's like Florida scored 49 points and did it in all uh, phases. Last, last thing. On. Yeah, go ahead. I think. Well, I was going to just kind of piggyback off of that. What, what Ryan said, I think that this is a game that that Florida wins handedly. I think the, the sure things on offense and the sure things on defense and how Todd Grantham attacks from every single angle and, you know, damn near blitzes eight people in every play. I think it's going to be a really tough test in week one. Uh, With that said, I think that this is a Florida team that has the potential to just get better and better every week. And that's why I like them to, to get to Atlanta to win the East and um, yeah, legitimately have a shot to go 10 and 0. Can you see this game being one of those where at the half it's like 14-14 and then in the second half Florida pulls away and wins by, I don't know, 17, something like that? Um, I mean, yeah, like sure. I, it, I, I, I could see that. I mean, 
everybody's been kind of slow getting out the gate, like you said, with the exception of Clemson and Oklahoma. Um, there's going to be some rust to knock off. Nobody, I think, uh, on our show, I guess, last week or two weeks ago, I think it was confirmed by our good buddy Austin uh, that Coastal Carolina was the only team to have a full spring practice before everything was shut down. So yes, that, that's right. Yeah. That was clearly evident in the dominating win over Kansas in week one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could – sure, I could see both offenses sputtering, defenses playing well because offenses aren't doing anything. And, uh, you know, maybe Ole Miss hits a, a big player too. Florida hits a big player too. And then, yeah, like you said, going in a half tide and then everybody makes adjustments. And then Florida's the more talented team. They end up pulling away, winning like what a what a score thirty two seventeen. I think what you said about yeah. like slow starts and stuff is why I think some of these lines across the SEC. Now I get it, Missouri's not great, Arkansas, Vanderbilt are both terrible, but the lines are just crazy across the conference. I think Bama's a twenty six point favorite. Uh, Georgia's laying twenty four in Fayetteville, and then Texas A and M's getting thirty or given thirty, excuse me, at home to Vandy, but. I mean, I watched that Oklahoma State game last week, and I don't think that Oklahoma State's as bad as they played. Now, I know they had a QB injury, but I just think these teams, especially like the really good top-tier teams that are playing really bad teams, and that could could possibly be Florida against Ole Miss, are almost going to kind of treat it like a spring game. Florida may, may not do that against Ole Miss, but I definitely could see Georgia coming out against Arkansas and, and working you know, 55 or 60 different guys out there trying to get their starters off the field as quick as possible and just just sort of treating this like an everybody, like an all-staff type of day. So I, I, mean, I think those are big spreads. Well, and, 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 and Georgia and Bama are interesting too because those are two programs where yep. you're going to have new quarterbacks taking the field. So like I don't know which way that cut, cuts, frankly. Like maybe you are leaving them out there to get them a little extra work that they didn't get because they didn't have, you know, a spring and they didn't have as much of a fall. I don't know. Well, I, we're going to get some, some more thoughts on, on what the Gators are going to bring to Oxford. And we're going to talk to Ryan about uh, what he thinks Lane Kiffin and the rebels will give Florida uh, on Saturday. We're going to hear from our sponsors real quick. And when we come back, we'll talk more Florida Ole Miss this weekend, September 26th. So hang tight. We'll be right back. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments, part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. 
Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something the place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out their rooftop bar, which is super awesome. has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station bourbon, a very small batch High Rye Bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high-rye bourbons. So you could do that, or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So, like we always say, Ask your, pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic. And, as always, OD encourages you to share a sip responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. We are back here on Podcast Rebellion. Ryan Annie is with us. All right, Ryan, you're familiar with the work of, of, of one Lane Kiffin. He's been around forever. Uh, as we are recording this, the writers are on television for Monday Night Football. It's, it's quite fitting. But what do you, I guess, honestly expect from Lane Kiffin? Now, I know this is not a, you know, a, you know, <laughs> regular year one this is not a normal college football season but 10 game schedule 
got some offensive talent. I think the staff that he put together is going to be able to help the defense kind of navigate their way through this tough season. What what's a, what's a a legitimate uh, like what should Ole Miss fans expect? What's a legitimate outcome to expect for fans? Huh? Without without looking at the schedule and without like doing this game by game, I think like five hundred. It right in that range, right in that like five six ballpark. I think that doesn't feel like crazy out of the question. And I say that in part because, you know, Kiffin does have something of a record of stepping into tumultuous situations and like not necessarily being that bad getting, you know, getting out of the gate. Like that first season in Tennessee, obviously uh, coming after a very, a, a year where you fired Phil Fulmer. And still, you know, they they went uh, 500 in conference that year, seven and six, like all told, not a not a terrible sort of first year on the heels of an unexpected rebuild. Um, USC is obviously just like a wildly different situation because of the sanctions and because of like the circumstances in which he took that job. So I don't even necessarily know that that's. That's a good comparison, but like went to FAU immediately, like had some success there when he's had his other stop, like when he had a stop at Bama, like the beginning is really not where things get weird at most of these stops. It's like, are things, are things, is everybody still happy and are things still progressing well in like year three? So given sort of his kind of fairly well-proven ability to take what he has and maximize that talent year one. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. Five and five and doesn't I'm, seem I'm not run off the it. table. I don't exactly point. recall it perfectly, but we added, I mean, obviously we get the East, I mean, it's the, the West, but we've got Vanderbilt, uh, Florida, obviously. And then we added Kentucky and South Carolina. So I don't, it's not a. T- we didn't add teams that were definitively worse than. I guess you could say we're probably worse than Kentucky, but it's not. I don't think Kentucky recruits at a level uh, that you could say. You know, Kentucky's definitely just going to run over Ole Miss. So I mean, there's a lot of games out there. Once you get past Bama, once you get past you know Texas A&M, probably LSU and Auburn, and, and then Florida, every other game is winnable. Um, I think for sure. And then you know, it, then you have to ask the question of. Can Ole Miss hang with a depleted LSU or, or, or even an Auburn at home? You know, something like that it, to get to five wins. I think that's pretty doable. I think so. Yeah, like that That kind of feels like the path is Ole Miss has to win games they should or at least win games where like the talent differentiation isn't that pronounced. And then they probably have to grab one they shouldn't. And that Lane Kiffin has sort of shown that he will get you that in most circumstances. Obviously this is not most circumstances, but like I am of the mind that the sort of tumult and weirdness that everybody's experienced the past six months, I I'm kind of curious if that's going to be like an equalizer of sorts, if that's going to mean like things are, a little less pronounced. And so, so a game like Kentucky where you might normally say, well, 
Kentucky's had like a little bit more success recently, had more coaching stability. Maybe you would normally pick them. Maybe that's a game where like, yeah, those things didn't benefit Kentucky as well as they as well as they might have, and that's a game Ole Miss grabs that it might not have otherwise. If 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 that's right, if they oh, go, I, I, in, in let's say one, five, five. I, I think in year one we've had. What is the reaction before. to that? Yeah, yeah. I think four and six this year. I, is most most people would treat it like a six and six ecstatic. would be very galvanized going into next year. And anything worse than four and six is like I don't necessarily think you'd be super upset at three okay. and seven. Right. It'd be kind of how the losses were. Like, you, you can't you can't keep losing to Bama by sixty three. Like even if you go four and six, you, you need to play within like. Maybe three scores of them. I mean, maybe 24 at most. Yeah, I think, I think the four and six, like you said, yeah, like a, like a mixture of six and six, seven and five. Honestly, a five and five in, in, in year one, uh, against this kind of schedule. I mean, that'd be teetering on the edges of seven and five to eight and four for me. I think that would be really overachieving. And I think that that's something that I'm, I'm not saying they're going to go five and five, but like you said, Ryan, this is a team that has to win the games that they should. So Vandy, Arkansas, um, I, I, I would say that's probably the only two that they should win. Absolutely. That they'll probably be favored in. And then you've got the three toss ups. You've got Kentucky, South Carolina, and Mississippi state. So those that's five right there. And yeah. then like you said, Nick, maybe you catch someone on a bad day. Maybe you catch someone late in the season. They've kind of lost track of their seat, their goals for the season. Um, the one that jumps out to me that I think is very gettable is Texas A&M. I don't think they're very good. I still not convinced Kellen Mond can get it done. And um, Ole Miss has had a real shot to beat them the last two seasons. I don't know what Jimbo Fisher's doing. I feel like he's mm-hmm. almost in kind of just cruise control and he's just watching that direct deposit go through every two weeks. But <laughs> I, uh, I think that five and five would be at the absolute ceiling. And then I think three and seven, four and six is the more realistic option. Um, but I, I'm of the opinion that I think Ole Miss fans would be absolutely in love if that happened in year one. A&M has to be the team that, like, <clears throat> is most annoyed by everything that happened. Because the way their schedule was, like, the stars were kind of aligned. Where it was like, if you were going to have the breakthrough year, like, it was kind of looking like this could be it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you had winnable non-conference games. You had a pretty good draw from across the other side. It was all like, okay. This can happen. And now it's like, it was also, I think, if I recall correctly, it was sort of sequenced nicely where it was like, okay, here's your like four game start where you can sort of get some momentum and get some confidence and then you'll have to go into the teeth of it. And now it's like, congratulations, you'll start with Vanderbilt and then you'll immediately go on the road to Alabama and then you'll immediately host Florida after that. Like it's, and, and then you'll, you'll end the year with LSU Auburn back to back. Like, yeah, they're, 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 I, I let, I was more bullish on them 
bef- with you know months ago, uh, whenever uh, this was. Talking about Texas A&M, and now would you trade? Like, We've oh, had discussion before about how the SEC doesn't feel like there's like a, a top tier of quarterbacks. And Zach, we were you're kind of big on JT Daniels. It doesn't look like he's going to be the starter uh, at Georgia this year, which is kind of bizarre that you would transfer, you know, cross country. And then they would bring in a guy to start over you. He would then leave. And then you'd be the starter until you weren't. But would, would Ryan, would you trade uh, Kellen Mon for Kyle Trask? Yeah, agreed. Probably not at this point. Yeah, like that feel like even saying that I'm like that's sort of a crazy thing to say. But yeah, at this point I think like Kellen Mond I'll still buy that he has a higher ceiling, but the consistency isn't isn't there in a way that you're like, "Oh yeah, I definitely make that swap." So on Saturday, what what do you think is the most what do you think is the I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. The uh, most predictable thing that's going to happen. And then if something were to be just completely unpredictable or outrageous, wh- what do you think that could be? Um, so I'll, I'll take those in opposite order. I think if Florida were to get picked apart in the passing game on defense, that would be, pretty surprising. And I know CJ Henderson's not there and I know that like some of their key pass rushers aren't there either. But like that feels where that feels like the thing that this year in this game should not happen. You should not necessarily see Ole Miss like dicing up the Florida secondary for 350 plus yards and three plus touchdowns. That would that would be honestly surprising. Ole Miss um, getting the running game going, and Ole Miss sort of using the short passing game to supplement it. Like those are all things that make sense to me. And if those things happen, that's that wouldn't be surprising. Um, and then I think the I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the other side of things, what will be expected is I think Florida is going to at least try to be extraordinarily balanced in play calling. I think they really are going to try to like mix in running and passing fairly equally. I don't think they're going to like, I think they're going to try to move the ball around a lot. I don't, I I think they're probably going to like bring a lot of guys in and out to do that as well. It, it feels like Florida, Florida getting focused on one offensive option, either a player or pass or run, feels like the thing they want to do least. They don't sort of want to start the year saying, okay, this is the thing we have to do to win a game that we should on paper be able to win. I think they'll want to like walk away from this saying, cool, you know. Through yeah, for so has there been any like ran COVID for issues? I guess at Florida, I haven't really kept Happy up with it this season. It, to be honest with you, the season's kind of snuck up on me because it's starting late, which it, it feels like it shouldn't have snuck up on me. But I just never really thought it was going to get played until about three weeks ago when everyone else started playing. 
So yeah, I mean, so like even Ole Miss, they came out with a depth chart today, and there were three separate starters, and I was like, who is this guy? Yeah, right. So especially up front, right. so I'm just kind of curious: has Florida been had any problems, or are there any guys that are going to be out this weekend? Well, um, the depth chart is is particularly interesting because I believe when Florida put out their original depth chart oh, today, back. Michael I think Ryan. it still had players who were on the team last year and weren't <clears throat> and weren't uh, are no longer are eligible to play college football. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I don't think I made that up. I'm pretty sure like CJ Henderson was listed as a starting cornerback, which is fun. Um, as far as like where the team is COVID wise, they have not, they have not had any major issues that they have. Like, I will caveat all of this with like that. They have reported. They've had some positives, I believe. Um, I don't think the numbers got like particularly out of control. They didn't have like the Tennessee thing where it's like we got 44 players out because of contact tracing and we can't hold practice. They have not, at least publicly, had anything like that. Um, You know, they had like the typical, I think, ramp up thing where – Students came back to campus and the number of cases on campus went up, but like didn't seem like there were there was anything crazy out of control at that point. Um, that said, like uh, I I will not be surprised if that happens at some point this year. Right? There's nothing that Florida has said or shown that is like oh they particularly have figured this out in a way that other schools haven't. Like I I think they will eventually have that week where they either have to postpone a game or they have a position group that is basically knocked out by this or, you know, they have a coach or an assistant or something like that who, who has to miss a game. That all feels well within the realm of possibility, but at least as of now has not popped up in Gainesville. Ryan, we talked about how the game could potentially be and how that first half could be a nail-biter and both teams struggle to get out the gate. But you mentioned C.J. Henderson being gone. Jonathan Greenard is not there. David Reese, the second, isn't there. So you're losing those three key elements of a defense that allowed uh, fewer touchdowns than all but three teams in college football a year ago. Um, they also led the SEC in sacks and red zone defense. So I think that Ole Miss has a ton of talent on offense. Uh, the skill positions are loaded. I think Elijah Moore um, is going to have a big year and going to really try to prop himself up for NFL scouts. I think Jonathan Mingo is poised for a breakout year at receiver. And then in the backfield, the known commodities of Jerry Neely, Snoop Connor, and then – Matt Corral, quarterback, John Rice, Pumlin, quarterback, whoever it's going to be, they can make plays. Um, but with all that said, this is a defense that is going to be extremely tough at all three levels. And as I mentioned before, Todd Grantham is just going to blitz until his eyes bleed. Yeah. Um, and that – I have a lot of complicated feelings about Todd Grantham. I don't think that would surprise anybody. <laughs> Who does 
And I think what will be what I am interested from it, like a truly detached perspective is like, is third and Grantham still a thing right now? Because he knows he's got, he doesn't have the same experience at like any level of the defense, but particularly in the secondary. And so if you decide on third down, we're pinning our ears back and we're coming for the quarterback. You are, you are putting guys who have fewer reps and have, <clears throat> haven't demonstrated that they are ready to be put on an Island necessarily. Like you're, you're forcing that to happen. And I'm curious if there is like something of an adjustment to that, where either the blitz is happening less frequently or it's coming in different ways. Um, to sort of account for that. I'll be honest, like I suspect it's not. Like I I think Todd Grantham is going to just you know, be dog sees pork chop and goes crazy for it because that's all he knows how to be and probably like probably in in the net that will work out okay for Florida in this game. But there will be other games on the schedule where I don't think that's true. And I hope, as a Florida right, so partisan, do you think that the secondary that has sort of made the, the leaps and bounds they'll need to to season. be ready for those situations. Well, so do you think that – you think most teams will play all teams? Uh, do you, do you think are you asking, will do be I down at seven or all, eight? Every, every team in the league will play all ten? Or Ole Miss will play all ten. Um, gosh, I I I think I think there's a decent chance that somebody will be down at seven. Yeah, at seven or eight. I I like. I don't know if I think it's the most likely outcome. But, you know, my sort of the question I have is if a team, if things start to snowball on a team, right? And they have a, an outbreak that they can't control, and that happens after they've lost a couple games, like, and a couple of their key contributors decide, like, are we going to, you know, screw this? I, I'm not going to take the chance of getting hurt. I can play in the league. I'm going to just call it a year. Like there'll be some, there'll be some weird circumstances where I think you may get to the end of the year and have some real, like really thinned down teams getting there. And I don't know if either the, the schools or the sec, frankly, are going to want that. I don't know if they'll say like, yes, we still want, well, I'll use Vanderbilt cause they're here. We still want Vanderbilt to show up with, you know, 47 players and lose. I think That's they, a great question I think they might like, say, you know Vanderbilt, what? I mean, obviously For everyone's benefit. Let's just go ahead and call what if they're Owen five. Let's just go ahead and say, you know, they, they get an outbreak and then they give the outbreak to, I mean, I'm going to look at their schedule, but they give it to Kentucky. And all of a sudden, now Kentucky's out two weeks, Vanderbilt's out two weeks, and you're sitting there going, if we keep playing Vanderbilt and Kentucky, both of which combine for nine losses, what are we doing here? So you just have some games missing. Like you just have 
you know, Florida, I think, plays Kentucky late in the year, and maybe they just have another bye week or something. I, I don't know. That's a good question because and we haven't figured it out yet because I don't think there's been but a couple conference games across the whole entire country and they've just been in the ACC. So that's something – I don't know. It's something really interesting. I guess we'll find out about the conference and how much they care about how much they care about teams that don't have a chance to win the title. Yeah. Um, it's also one of those things where the timing feels very important because, you know, like Virginia, Virginia Tech got delayed. It was supposed to happen, I think, maybe this last week. I don't remember exactly, but Virginia Tech was like, yeah, not going to happen. But because that decision is getting made in like, you know, mid-September, there's still time to figure it out. To me, the bigger question is like, you know, look, looking at Ole Miss's schedule, it, South Carolina is November 14th. If that game can't happen f- from one side or the other, where are you putting it? Like, where is the rescheduling of that game even going to happen? Because Ole Miss doesn't have a bye for the next three weeks. I don't necessarily know that you're going to want to put it like on the 12th or the 19th of December. Like you will, you, I, I think you will run into some issues where you sort of say, yeah, September, maybe some of the October games, they can move. They're flexible. The last, like, I don't know, conservatively call it. Yeah. And for what five games like on every Tucker team's Lana. schedule, if that game feels canceled, like, like- if they're not happening when they, when they say they're happening, they're not happening. You know, one of those teams on a plane, you know, a quarter of the way across the country for a game that doesn't really matter except for some money on the SEC network. Right. And a bowl that may not even happen. That was going to be my solution. I, I don't think they're going to have bowl games this year. Uh, barring going through a 10-game slate completely unscathed and – Maybe numbers are extremely down. Who knows? Might go crazy. Maybe there's a vaccine by then. I mean, just I just don't think they're going to be able to have bowl games. So maybe you just reschedule a certain game. <laughs> you know, maybe uh, in January. Christmas Day Egg Bowl. Um, I don't know. That's just a lot to ask. Are you saying? Egg, are you saying New Year's Day Egg Bowl? Am I hearing New Year's Day Egg Bowl? <laughs> Uh, do it on uh, yeah, do it on Black Friday so everybody so nobody watches it. Um, I, I so I disagree with your premise for one reason, and that's okay. ESPN owns like half the bowl games at this point. <laughs> like they own and operate them, and for some of them, like I think you're right that the ones that are sort of still a local concern, yeah, they'll probably just be like, ah, eh, the tourism dollars aren't there. And like we can't get teams we want, whatever. Screw right. it. But for ESPN, like the Boca Raton Bowl is television inventory. They don't give a shit about what it does for the Boca Raton economy. I mean, I'm sure they'll say they do. But I absolutely think that they will just go down the list. And this was, you know, this is I I I said this before the Big Ten and maybe the Pac-12 decided they were coming back, but like when when two weeks ago there were more bowl slots than bowl teams. I absolutely think if, if they have to, they'll call one in nine Arkansas or zero in 10 Arkansas and be like, Hey, it's not a good bowl game, but do you want to play in it? And if Arkansas says yes, they'll find somebody else and just say, Hey, do you want to beat Arkansas in a bowl game? 
Yeah. Yeah, because my thing is is these bowl games, like you said, you, you referred to it as a billboard, and, and you talked about tourism. I mean, that's what I think these bowl games are used for is essentially just a big advertisement for wherever they're being hosted, and how it's like, hey, like here's this bowl game of you know Akron taking on Hawaii, mm-hmm. but you know this is the big thing about this bowl game is we're here in San Antonio or you know El Paso, and then. All the commercials, the advertising, um, everything is about the city that's hosting it and how it's being made possible by those people. Um, I hesitate to think that they would do that, and I would say a full slate of bowl games, just because you won't be able to have fans in the stands. People won't be able to go there and travel to to see it. But I, I hope they have a full slate of bowl games. I I hope they play every single one of them. Um, but yeah, I that is my concern about postseason play because we know they're going to have the college football playoff. We know they're going to have Power Five conference title games. But um, yeah, are, are we going to be able to have you know the Hawaii Bowl? Are we going to be able to go down to Shreveport for the the Independence Bowl? That's I I certainly hope so because I think everybody I, I think I speak for everybody. I should say that we're going to be watching every single game as much as possible this year. You're you're going to watch. Okay. You just said you're going to watch Northwestern football. Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll watch that. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to hold you to it. I'm going to check. I, on you. I, I, I will legitimately watch as much football as I can. No okay. matter, no matter who is playing. Um, I, I'm glad that everybody's, you know, not everybody because back to all of them. Um, the Big Ten are still doing whatever they're doing, but even if it was, you know, the MEAC or, you know, I hate the the Patriot League's not even playing, but yeah, I at this point I don't care. Just just give me some football and I'll watch. Okay, it. all right. Again, I'm going to check in on you, and I expect you to have numerous Northwestern opinions and feelings by <laughs> let's say Thanksgiving. Okay, I do have a lot of hot takes about Evanston. it's a it's a phenomenal town you're halfway there congrats yeah um all right ryan last thing before we let you go um do you have a uh a prediction for saturday i'm gonna go with my my gut i think like at halftime this game is gonna be within a score let's say like florida's up 17 14 i think they'll pull away in the second half and so I'll say this is going to end up being like uh, 34, 34, uh, 20, 34, 17. Yeah, that's the numbers 14 okay. and a half, I think. Nick, if I memory serves. It's inched up. It started at 12. Ah, ah. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, I have a, that's kind of how I see it happening. Maybe more points, but yeah, this isn't really a game. I don't think Dan's going to really try to just go nuts. I think he's just going to very, very vanilla week one. Not going to show too much offensively. So that that sounds about right. Um, do you think that Lane Kiffin will do the arms race early celebration in the first game Ooh. on a touchdown? Um, God, this is this would be a great prop bet. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say 
he's going to he's not they're not going to have a play lineup where he does that. So I think okay. I I think he's going to throw something interesting in the mix. I I like I think we're going to see I don't know a wrinkle that people will talk about and say like hey that was a that was a weird thing old missed but I don't think we're going to see the ball is barely out of the quarterback's hands touchdown celebration. I'm trying to think of maybe Kiffin is going to be, you know, even if it's not a game that can win, is Kiffin going to just be very, very by the, by the book, have a script for week one. But part of me is like, no, he doesn't give a shit. He's going to call whatever play he wants. Um, Yeah. I mean, like what's the point, you know? I mean, yeah, it's a weird year anyway. You might as well just get weird. And, like he has in, he has largely embraced the like entertainer aspect of this job. Like I, I think he's, you know, I think he wants Ole Miss football to, to have exciting moments and to like do some cool shit. And so like, yeah. why not, why not give it a go? Like you're, you know, you're, you're catching Florida at maybe the best time to catch them because they don't really have any tape on you. They don't really know exactly what you're going to you, you like you have this sort of preparatory advantage comparatively. Like, yeah, I mean, why not just throw some shit out and do something fun? What are you saving it for Arkansas week four? Come on, don't do that. <laughs> if memory serves, Ryan, I believe the last time that Florida came to Oxford, was it? Um, was that when Rex Grossman was there? That's probably right. That's I'm I'm looking it up right now to confirm if that's the case. Um, yeah, freshman year, two thousand oh. no two thousand seven. So two thousand seven. Okay. Um. So that would have been. That's like Tebow's. Uh, that's Tebow's Heisman year. Yeah, but, okay. but yeah, you're thinking of the the 2002 game. 2002. Okay. Yeah, I knew it was weird where the last two have been in Gainesville. Yes, um, but yeah, okay. And that's just okay. because realign like the 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 added expansion happened between the two games. I think right. Yeah. And but I, like I don't know. You look at the this the history of this series, like the recent history. There's a decent number of close games in here. This is not this is not a game that one side or the other traditionally wins by a whole whole lot. And there's some good like that that 07 Florida team, they only won by six. Yeah. Which is wild to think about because yeah. that 07 Ole Miss team was not good. Yeah. So I I I I will say this. I obviously hope Florida wins. I will not be in a very good mood if they don't. But I would rather see I would rather see like old miss push Florida and make Florida have to sort of like figure it out and put it together than to just see old miss get steamrolled. Mostly because like I am more interested in the weird SEC season that we have constructed if old miss is on 
the immediately the immediate upslope. I think that makes for like more interesting tensions, more interesting questions about like where teams are relative to each other. Um, yeah, I, I I I would much rather have them be sort of the like tricky middle class of the SEC than than a rebuilding team. Well, uh, Florida is trying to even the all time series. This weekend, almost holds a twelve to eleven advantage. How about that? Stupid forties! God damn it! Yeah, I think yeah, forty six, forty seven, forty eight, and then fifty eight. Almost at one time, one four in a row. How about that? They played. They, they played in a bowl game against each other. Yeah, the Gator Bowl. Whew. Seven to three. <laughs> Hang the see, that's See, that's the kind of dumb shit we could see in bowl games again this year. Maybe the key is to play in Jacksonville. The key is never to play in Jacksonville. <laughs> three of those four games were in Jacksonville. Yeah. No, I look forward to the Ole Miss party. Florida rematch in the Gator Bowl this year. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, all right, Nick. Do you, do you, any final thoughts? Any any revelations? Predictions on your end? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> That would, that would just be incredible. Um, all right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for Podcast Rebellion. We'll be back uh, later this week with our uh, Gambling Council episode. If you've, uh, if you've kept up with us on Twitter and if you've uh, followed along the last two Lord. weeks, we are doing uh, particularly well two weeks in. Um, are we three weeks in? Yeah, we're three weeks in. Uh, yeah, 18 and 8 overall. The last two weeks, we're 14 and four. Wow. So, yeah. And that was with two games that were postponed last week, which I think we had, I think we had good picks on. So, uh, so yeah, it's been nice. So if you want to make some money, you know, tail the, uh, tail the podcast boys. So, uh, but that's going to do it for this evening. Uh, once again, Ryan, appreciate the time, man. I uh, hope uh, you and, Everybody else are doing well in this uh, strange time, and I hope uh, that uh, Spencer is still able to yell on the full cast. Um, I'm assuming that he does that through a mask without uh, any difficulty. His beard is his mask. Yeah, I was just about to say, he's he's the guy that has the humongous beard that just looks like he put a coaster on. Yeah, that's right. Um, all right, so for Ryan uh, and for Nick over there, I'm Zach. It's been Podcast Rebellion. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe. Yeah.